Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. I actually think um, that it's really important that we do this series. The series is called You Ask For It. So we give, if you're new to Bright Church, one of the things that we do is we give people the opportunity to ask uh, or, or to vote on things that they want to hear spoken about in church. And a lot of the time those topics can be controversial. I think that it's important for us to understand what we believe and not just what we believe, but how to communicate it. It's important to communicate things that we believe in and to communicate it in an appropriate way. This week, um, if you haven't been living in a cave, you would probably know that the CEO of the Essendon Football Club had to make a decision between choosing to uh, stay on the board of the church that he attends or he could um, choose to stay as the CEO of the Essendon Football Club. And he had to make a choice. And he had to make that choice because there was conflicting values between what the church believed and what his club believed. And he was forced to make a decision. And I'm not going to really get into that, but uh, I'll, I'll say this. There were a couple of reasons why he had to make that decision. And it had to do with issues around the um, homosexual uh, views around homosexuality and, uh, and largely uh, the abortion issue. It's interesting that that church, I believe this weekend, uh, is speaking on the exact same topic that we are talking about today. So my point is, this is a hot topic. This is a, this is a loaded topic. This is an important topic to, to talk about. But at the end of the day, you asked for it. So <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? So I want to speak to you about the spirit of this message. The spirit of this message is one that needs to have both truth and grace. But I offer a trigger warning because the content is around abortion. And I understand that that is a really difficult issue. So I would say this, if there is at some point in the, in the message, uh, if you needed to leave, that's okay. Um, if the issue is, is a difficult one for you, that's, that's fine, we, no, no problem with that. I'd say this as well. If anybody here um, has any um, concerns, if this brings up pain, uh, in you, in, in your life, then you can email us at supportatbrightchurch.com. That email goes to two people, uh, myself and Pastor Ruth, who oversees all of our generation's pastors. And we'll make sure that we get the appropriate support to you and connect you with counsellors and um, people that, that you, know, you might want to speak to. But I want to let you know um, that yes, this may be triggering in some ways, but we will support people as they go through that process. So I said that this message needs to be um, covered in grace and truth. If we have grace with no truth, we're just lying. If we have truth with no grace, that's horrific. We need both. Um, and I would also add this, that the gospel is an all-encompassing message. And it really doesn't matter what, what you've walked into church with, what your background is, what your experience is, the truth is the grace of God is an all-encompassing message that covers every sin, every level of brokenness. And I think the gospel is the most encouraging message that we have to share. So we should share it often because it's a message of God's grace and forgiveness towards people who don't deserve it, but he offers it to them anyway. Uh, the forgiveness of our, our mistakes and, and our sins. And so I, I think that it's important to, to mention that. I also want to say 
that this message is anchored in the Bible. This, the, the message is anchored in the truth of what God's Word says, because at the end of the day, who, who cares what I think? It's, it's actually all about what God says, and it is about what He thinks. I saw on <clears throat> television earlier this week that uh, a pastor was grilled on Channel 7 by Koshi around the Bible being a 2,000-year-old book. I thought that is an oversimplification that would lead people astray from the truth. The reality is it is 66 books written by over 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years that was penned by man but inspired by the Holy Spirit. Clearly the author is outside of time and space, which means the content that is in this book is not something that's relegated to 2,000 years ago. But in actual fact, it's, it's, it's a book that was written by an eternal God. That's very relevant right now. And when we leave this place, we go on into eternity. And what was true then for God then is just as true as it is now. So I, I think we need to recognize that this book has more authority than just something that was written 2000 years ago. I wanna add that what you believe and how you say it makes a big difference. It really does matter. I don't know everything about everyone in this room. And you don't know what people have had to go through to be at this point in their life right now. You may think that you know someone really well, but you may not know everything about them. They may not disclose certain things about their life to you. So there will be things in this message that intuitively you may just agree with. And I, I like a church that's vocal and responsive. You know, I like it when we get into the Word of God. But I would just asterisk this for this particular message. Maybe just use a little bit of caution about how demonstrative you are in your affirmation of things that you believe to be true because you really don't know what someone else has gone through to be here today. And because of the personal nature of this message, we should maybe be a little bit careful about how we champion this, but please don't be absolutely silent. It'll encourage me if nothing else. <laughs> Finally, I say this. <clears throat> um, this message is all about words. And that might seem obvious, but it's what I mean to say is, when I say words, it brings up pictures. So word pictures. So if I say pro-life, it makes everybody think of one thing. Or maybe it just, you know, pictures of, everyone's picturing different things in their head. If I say pro-choice, brings up another image. The truth is I've spoken to people who are in the right industries to ask these kind of questions to, and the reality is there's people with good hearts and intentions on both sides. And I actually think that on both sides, there's people with really poor motives. There's people with wrong perspective on, on both sides. So when, I, when we use words, what's important is just to let, to, to not necessarily fill in the blanks with maybe our preconceived ideas about what things are. And to my absolute best, I try to stay away from labels. I think I might use one label just once because it's relevant, right? But I'm gonna to try to stay away from that because I think it's important to not get wrong pictures in our head and then misapply everything that we think needs to be understood. So I'm gonna, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna begin with a few facts today. Uh, and these might, some of these things might be shocking to you, I don't know, but um, I, I think it's important to orientate ourselves around where we find ourselves as a community, all right? So in Australia, there are no statistics on abortion rates. There's no statistics because there's no national data collection on this issue. And um, the Medicare number that they use for abortions would also be used for miscarriages and other uh, similar 
procedures. So because of that, we really don't have any data. But it is estimated that half of the pregnancies in Australia um, are unplanned. Of that, half of those um, are aborted. So the, this is an estimation, but people have done research on this and it's likely, and not Christian organizations, this is secular organization, right? It's likely that a quarter to a third of women will have an abortion in Australia. That's, that's, that's what's to be expected. So we don't know how many abortions happen in Australia. What we do know are the laws around abortion. So there are a number of them, but I'll give you three because we can't do this all day. Here's number one. Um, in the state of Victoria, there is abortion up to birth. So we're talking the full nine months. In addition to that, um, we have something in Victoria called partial birth abortion. So I'm not gonna go into detail about what that is. You can look at it later, but it's pretty serious. Number two, at no point is any pain, there's no pain relief for the baby inside the womb, the fetus. There's no pain relief at any point. Um, and they are always bring out, bringing out research about when babies can feel pain, but there's no pain relief at any point all the way through. When we know, past the point when we know babies can absolutely feel pain. Number three, doctors in the state of Victoria are forced to comply with abortions. So if a doctor objects to an abortion happening, then they must refer that patient to another doctor who will agree with it. So, it's, so it's, it's, it's pretty airtight. What is interesting to me is, and this is straight from the website um, in Victoria, uh, from section nine of the Human Rights Charter for Victoria, is that, and this is a quote, every person has the right to life and the right to not have their life taken. This also requires governments to protect the right to life. It goes on to say, and again, I'm quoting, as well as being covered by the Charter, the right to life is also covered by international law. It is considered a non-derogatable right. That means that government cannot limit or suspend this right under any circumstance. That's interesting. What's really weird is this. I just thought about it a little bit. And I thought about the laws that we have in this state. I called a friend of mine who works in law enforcement in, in a senior role, and I asked him this question. I said, if someone was to take the life of a mother who had a baby inside their womb, I wanted to know if that person would be charged with a double homicide. Because I was interested to see how our laws reflect, how our abortion laws interact with Victorian state and, and, and you know, law. So I, I, I thought about that. This is what he found and sent back to me. You can be charged with causing serious injury if your actions cause the destruction of a fetus, whether the woman suffers harm or not. Hmm. That is a little inconsistent. How could somebody be charged with causing serious harm 
to a baby inside a womb. And yet, if you choose, you can have that baby aborted at any point. That is kind of weird. It's inconsistent. So my thought was, how do we reconcile the abortion laws and the human rights laws? This, the fact is that that law that I just read to you, that doesn't fit anywhere because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, these things don't go together. But I thought, how do we reconcile the abortion laws and human rights laws, right? And the only way to do it effectively is to think that a fetus isn't human, surely. That makes sense, right? Yeah? Guys, a little bit of feedback, like, you know, just a, just a little bit, right? That makes sense, yeah? Because if every human being has the right to life, then clearly the only way to reconcile these two ideas is that a human um, or, or, or a fetus can't be human. So the, I think the problem is, as a culture, what we do is pick and choose the laws that we want when we want them. And it doesn't make sense. I saw a TV presenter. Um, it was a YouTube clip, so this was from a while ago. But I saw a TV presenter being very demonstrative on this point, a news presenter who actually said that Jesus said nothing about abortion. And he was very vocal. Jesus said nothing about abortion. He said, anybody that thinks that the Bible or that Jesus said something about it needs to get a copy of the Bible, go read the New Testament. He said this, look at the letters in red and then see if you can find it. And I'm telling you, it says nothing about it. So don't tell me that, you know, you can't be a Christian and, and believe that abortion, um, you know, is, is not okay. So what did Jesus say? What, did, what does the Bible actually say? Here's the truth. Jesus never said anything about abortion. That's true. So to draw conclusions about that and him being okay with it would be your first mistake, right? Why would Jesus's silence on the subject mean his approval of it? Jesus never said anything about bestiality. Jesus never said anything about child sacrifice. Would we assume that because he never said anything about those subjects, that would we automatically assume that he's okay with both of those things? And no one in this room would say yes. We all know that he would not be okay with it. So how do we understand this? Well, a couple things. Let's remember this, that Jesus is the Word incarnate. So the Scriptures say, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Translation, in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. And then it goes on to say, and Jesus became flesh and He dwelt amongst us. So just to clear it up, Jesus is the pre-existent God that was around before the earth was created, before time and space was created, the pre-existent God, and He came from heaven to earth. Now, all of us, every single person in this room, that if you've done a little bit of study about God, one thing that you would know about Him is that He is omnipresent. Yeah. He's everywhere, right? All at the same time. He's, he's everywhere. So are we suggesting that when Jesus, the pre-existent God, who's been around for eternity, when He came from heaven to earth, 
in the womb of Mary that he disappeared into nothing for nine months until he was born? Whoa. That doesn't make sense. Now, here's another thing to think about. When it comes to Jesus, yes, all the, and if you're new to church, just so you know, to help us read the Bible, when we talk about red letters, all the words that Jesus spoke in the Bible are in red. Okay? Yeah? Okay. But all the words that are written in black are inspired by the Holy Spirit and they were on the same page. So Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. We believe in Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So every word in black is inspired by the Spirit of God. Every word that's in red was said by Jesus. They believe the exact same thing. Jesus had a high view of Scripture. So when we talk about what the Word of God says, forget just looking at the words of words that are in red. We look at the entire counsel of Scripture because it's all authored by God and Jesus is God. Does that make sense? So it says the Word became flesh. Maybe we could say it like this. The Word became fetus and dwelt amongst us. Isn't that what happened? Also, I'd add this, because someone might say, well, hang on, maybe what happened is, is that uh, there was a clump of cells in Mary's womb, and as Jesus was born, that's when Jesus came and filled the baby. Hang on. John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb because he was in the presence of Jesus. Yeah? Yeah. Do you remember that? I'll read it to you. Luke chapter 1 verse 41 says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. It seems obvious to me that Jesus was the Christ in the womb, hence the leaping. Does that make sense? So we must have been the Christ in there, which means, of course, that is consistent with Scripture. He never went into oblivion and never stopped existing. It's the Word became the fetus, became flesh and dwelt amongst us in the entire time He was still God and He existed in space and time. So He wasn't just a clump of cells. What does the words in black say? What do the words in black say? So let's, let's just read some Scriptures. I'm just going to go through a, a, a couple of Scriptures this morning. Exodus chapter 21, verse 22 to 23 says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined. So she gives birth, the baby's fine, but there's still a fine, right? As the woman's husband shall impose on him and he shall pay as the judge determines. But if there is harm, you shall pay, what does that say? Life for life. Well, that's pretty conclusive to me. But it goes on, Jeremiah 1.5, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. That speaks to me about destiny. That speaks to me about purpose. That speaks to me about intentionality. God piecing together a child in their mother's womb. Psalm 139 verse 13 says, For I formed, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That word depths of the earth, it means womb. 
Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days. When it says unformed substance, by the way, that means embryo, okay? In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. There is no doubt that the Holy Spirit believes that life begins inside the womb. There's, there's, no, there's no doubt about that. Did you know that across the Old Testament and the New Testament, it refers to fetuses inside the womb as children, meaning they're babies, aka they're not cells. There are a number of examples. I'll, I'll just give you one. Genesis chapter 25 verse 22 says, the children, not cells, the children struggled together within her. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Do you understand that? So they're, saying, so they're saying these things that are inside the mother are children, indicative of their humanity. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger uh, the one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. They're talking about Jacob and Esau. And what they're saying is who they are inside the womb will continue outside the womb. There's a continuation. Did, did you understand why I'm saying this? Yeah. There's a continuation from inside the womb to outside the womb, inside, outside. So obviously this week things are blown up. And I'm astonished in some ways because the church has never changed its mind. Do you know how this is really working? And it's going to become more extreme. Because we are anchored to the eternal word of God, we stand still. The problem is our culture keeps doing this, right? And then they say, you're extreme. And we would say, Stop moving away from us. You're changing, not us. We've always said the same thing. If you look at Christian history, Christians have always been against abortion. You can understand it. This isn't new. There's a book called the Didache. And if you read it, it tells us something about the first century church. It's not scripture. It's not wrong to read it. Okay, you can read it, but it's not inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it gives us a great insight into the first century church. There were so many copies of this book that they, they went everywhere and they sent them to a load of churches. And they were read universally in, in the churches. And when they introduced the book, they said, this is the teachings of the 12 apostles to the nations. This is what this book is. So if we read that, I'm just gonna read a, a quote from it. This is first century apostle authorship right here. Not scripture but still important for church history. You got me? You shall not murder a child by abortion nor kill that which is born. And those who, uh, who who do so are judged murderers of children, destroyers of the handiwork of God. That comes from chapter two and chapter five. Okay, so what I'm saying is, is that the church's position on this has always been clear. So I think the scriptures are really clear Because the question that we're answering today is what does the Bible say about abortion, right? That was the question. Okay. I think the Bible's pretty clear. I think the Christian community um, has always been historically clear. But what do you think? 
I think those two positions are clear. Because the big question is, right, the big question that would make abortion wrong would be where does life begin, right? Because if we had consensus on that, if we all agreed on where life began, and people absolutely agreed that life began in the womb, then clearly it would be morally wrong. Could we say that? Okay, because you can't kill something that's not alive, right? So if it's not alive, then fine. Pro-choice advocates would say, it's just a clump of cells. That, that's, that's what they would say. If only there were a consensus. And there is. A study done in 2018 discovered that 96% of biologists believe that life begins at fertilization. What's really interesting about this is that the guy who authored the study, Stephen Jacobs, who was doing his PhD at the University of Chicago, contacted um, over a thousand organizations around the world and asked them this question, where does life begin? And 96% of them said that life begins at fertilization. Now, people might want to argue with what the biologists say and say, oh, well, tell us more about the study. Okay, how about this? Of the 5,337 biologists, they identify as liberal, 89%, pro-choice, 85%, non-religious, 63%. So... Here we have liberal, pro-choice, non-religious biologists and 96% of them agree that life begins at fertilization. Fascinating. What's even more astonishing to me is the world that we currently live in, right? We are told that climate change is a settled science. Why? Because 97% of scientists agree. There's a consensus among 97% of scientists. How inconsistent can we really be? How can we say climate change is a settled science, but when it comes to where life begins, no, that's completely different. And the truth is we all know. We know that we wanna keep it open because people want choice. They want decisions. The moment we agree, then we, then we know it's morally wrong. So let's just say that the, the, that the jury is still out, even though it's, it's just as settled as climate change is. Fascinating. So let me just deal with a couple of questions, a couple of things that you might hear on a, on a regular basis, and then, I'll, and then I'll finish up for today, right? Here's the first one. Here's something that you might see in the newspaper, see in a a board when someone's protesting. How about this? My body, my choice. Okay. I wonder if the babies would say the same thing. I mean, if we've established that life begins at fertilization and they could speak, I wonder if they'd say the same thing. Hey, my body, my choice. Banning abortion oppress oppresses women. Are we including the female babies when we say that? 
Evidently, no. Well, they're just a, a bunch of cells. Well, I feel like we've already established that they're not just a bunch of cells, but let me ask you this question. Well, when do you stop being a bunch of cells? When do you stop being a bunch of cells? And there are really big implications on how you answer that question. Re really big implications. So what if somebody said, and people have, I've seen people ask these questions, right? Well, you stop being a, a bunch of cells when, when you can actually look after yourself. You know, well, I got three kids <laughs> and trust me, right? For the first couple of years, they can't do much. All right, so they, ca they can't look after themselves. So when our, when our kids were two, they couldn't look after themselves, right? So that, I, I look at that question and I go, no, that, that doesn't make sense. But if we actually ended a human life at age two, we, we actually have laws against that. Okay, so you can't do that. So it seems a little bit inconsistent. Let me ask you another question. What if someone was on life support? Because they're like, oh, well, it depends completely on, on the woman, right? Yeah, but what if it depends completely on a machine? Is somebody less human because they're on life support? No. We don't get to take the life of people just because they're on life support. When does somebody's life actually start to have value? Or when, when, they, when does their life have value? When, when do we say, okay, no, this, this, this matters. This is, a, this is a baby, this is a child, this is a, a human being. What if someone was in a coma? What if someone was in a coma? Are they still human then? And someone's gonna say, ah, yeah, but we turn off the machine all the time. You know, like when people aren't gonna wake up from a coma, true. But what if I could guarantee you that in nine months they would wake up from that coma? Find any family whose child is in a hospital bed and they say they're in a coma right now, but we're developing some new medicine and I can guarantee you that nine months from today, we're gonna to wake them up. Now, would you like to turn the machine off? And they'd say no, right? Well, because we know, because that, that'd be wrong, wouldn't it? Well, I feel like it would be anyway. What about when they have a heartbeat? Well, when, the, when, the, when, the, when they actually get a heartbeat, that's where life begins. What are you gonna to say to people with pacemaker? What are you gonna to say to someone that needs their heart pumped? Or what, what about when they draw their first breath? Okay, what about someone in an iron lung? Where they have to have a machine that, that does it for them? The problem is every scenario that you come up with, wherever you draw a line, every scenario you can come up with for what constitutes as life inside the womb, there is an example outside the womb. And you can create any scenario you want, but at the end of the day, it'll apply to someone outside the womb. So to me, I look at that and I go, none of those really apply, but let's just go one level deeper. This is now some of the harder questions, right? What if it seriously endangers the life of the mother? That's hard. I just leave it up to the parents, to be honest. Who can say anything? I don't feel like I've got any right to say anything about that, to be honest. No, I have no idea. What's the decision that the, the parents want to make? And I, I, I would go with that. That, that, that. That's a really hard one. What about, what about rape or incest? Well, firstly, if anybody has had to go through that, 
I can't imagine a, a, a tougher scenario than that. That would be the most difficult thing. Man, that would be so hard. And if, honestly, my heart breaks for people that have gone through that scenario and are thinking, what am I going to do now? That's tough. We have no stats on this. We don't, we don't have statistics on this stuff because of how we count it and collect data. But I do know that in America, they do record those stats and they account for less than 1.5% of all abortions. So it's a very, very small amount. I know that when we make laws in this country, that we make them to protect the majority in mind. So let's say, like, I feel pretty comfortable driving at 100 kilometers an hour, but you, you can do 300. I don't know how you can do that or how you know that. But let's say you know. I know for a fact I can drive at 300 kilometers an hour. Okay. Should we then create one rule for me and one for you? All right, so you can drive at 100, but you're pretty good, so you can do 300. We don't do that because that would be such a small fraction of people, right? We create laws that protect the majority. And we say, no, 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 this is, everyone has to drive at 60. No, everyone has to drive at 80, right? I know you can drive faster. I know you're an amazing driver, but you know, we, we, don't, we don't do that. So it'd be really interesting to create a law. All right, fine, everybody drive at 300. Imagine that. And it, it's sick, right? <laughs> you know, awesome. I knew some, there's always one, you know, but, but, you know, we don't, that's, that's not what we do. The other thing is, and, and please hear me, like, I say this with a lot of compassion, because this is like such a tough scenario. But if we've already established that life begins in the womb, if, if, we're at, the question is, what does the Bible say? All right, so if the Bible says that, and there's consensus amongst the scientific community that life begins at fertilization, then we would say, okay, well, fine, they're, they're human. So if they are human, right, is their life of less value because their father was a criminal? No. And I, I see the, the complexity. I see the challenge. Somebody that's in that scenario, they're not ready to have a baby that in planet was something that was done to them. That is like just unimaginably wrong. Like so wrong. I can't even imagine, right? It's, it's bad. But, but do we double, do we double down on wrong because the child's father was a criminal? What if that child was out the womb? We'd actually protect them from their parents, wouldn't we? If, if, the, if the father was a criminal, that's, we actually have services that come in and protect that child. So in one scenario, we can abort the child. The other scenario is we protect the child because the father was a criminal. Do you see what I'm saying? Like it, it, it does start to get a little bit tricky, but to be honest, there's a lot, a lot of people that aren't ready to have a baby. If half the abortions or half the pregnancies in Australia are unplanned, 
that's tough. Because when you get pregnant, what does it mean? You're gonna have to change a lot. Like you're changing your maybe your job, your career, might put it on hold for a while. Your social life is gonna take a major hit. Everyone's going out, but you're home with the baby. And like, th those are practical realities. This is a, a, a real scenario here. And honestly, like I, I look at that and I think that, that would be tough. But as tough as that is, that doesn't change the fact that the baby's still a human being. Like no matter how hard it gets, and, and the inconvenience, right? This is not cold, this is not callous. It's all about perspective, right? So, so if you're only thinking about it from the mother's perspective, you've missed a lot. Think about it from the child's perspective. Think about it from the baby's perspective. It should change the way that we actually look at the scenario. I think that sometimes the reason why people wanna get rid of children is maybe that there is shame attached and maybe in the secular world, there's less of that. In the church, man, you think over time in history, how the church has responded to people that have had children out of wedlock. Well, sex is reserved for marriage. Sure, we understand that's what the Word of God teaches, but at the same time, like it, it does happen. And so maybe to escape the shame that they'd feel within certain fractions of the community, right? They say, it's just better if nobody knows. Here's the reality, everyone sins, but when someone gets a pregnant, people go, oh, like you don't. The problem is that one's really evident. Why? You see the bump. But every child is still a gift from God, no, no, no matter what. Could we, could we agree on that? No matter how they get here, they're still from God. So I, I, don't, I don't think that you could abort a baby because you were not ready. Someone's gonna say, why? Well, because it's a human, because it's life, because there's destiny attached to that. You know what I think as well? I think that you know, as a church, as the church, we should be awesome at supporting these people. Far from judging them, like really getting behind us. But whoa, hey, I get it. You didn't plan this. And you know, it was just that one time, sure. And you know, like you, you didn't want this. But I just wanna let you know that you don't have to worry because we're gonna help you as you as you navigate these these stages that you go through. Like, I, I feel like that would be such a better idea. And, and so in, in thinking all of this, right? If you're a Christian that believes that the Word of God is, is written by God, if you believe that the Scriptures are the inspired Word of God, then I don't think you could agree with abortion. No way, if you believe in this. And I know there are plenty of people that say that they are something when they're not, like seriously, seriously. Some of you got that, but they're not. Because if you believe this, it changes you and it changes the way you look at things. All right, so I'm gonna just deal with one more thing and then I'm gonna finish. What if you've, you're here today and you hear everything. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, you're feeling terrible because you go, well, you don't know this about me, but I've had an abortion. I wanna tell you that God still loves you. You're just as loved now as you were before you heard this when you walked in here today. You, you, you are just as loved. And I would say this as well, church, Christian people everywhere, it doesn't help to double down on condemnation. That's not helping, that's not helping anyone, okay? They'll go, okay, but, but, but Pastor Ben, it's, it's wrong. Yeah, I know. Well, there's a lot of things that are wrong, right? There's, 
People do wrong stuff all the time. How do we handle it? Wait, how does Jesus handle it? Well, there was this one story where a woman was caught in the act of adultery, like in the act. The religious people, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they grabbed her, they dragged her before Jesus, they threw her on the ground and they said, the law says that we should stone her. What do you say? You know what it says? Like she's on the ground. And I look at this and Jesus, he gets down on the ground. And I I just kind of like this because I feel like he's at her level. Isn't it awesome how Jesus will come down to meet you where you are? Like he'll help you stand in just a moment, but he's going to come and meet you. And we actually don't know what he, what he drew, but he, this is the only record we have of Jesus writing anything. So we know he could do it, but he wrote something in the dirt, right? We have a few ideas about what that might be, but any day he, he, he writes in the dirt and he, he stands up and he, he says to the Pharisees, all right, well, you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. And they just kind of realized that they were done. It says that the older Pharisees, they walked away first because they already knew that it was over. The younger ones were like, I think we can still get him. And then they figured it out. They figured out what we already know, which is what? Every single one of us has sin. So am I saying that that's okay? Oh no, because remember how Jesus finished the story? What did he say to the woman? He said, go away and sin no more. So sometimes things are wrong and we know they're wrong and Jesus will forgive us. Sometimes we don't know things are wrong and we do them and then we find out that they're wrong and then Jesus still forgives us. And the important thing is that when we walk away at the end of the day, that we make a decision, well, I'm not going to sin anymore. And whoever you are, what I believe is that there's grace and forgiveness for everybody that calls upon the name of the Lord. Because the gospel is an all-encompassing message. It covers every sin. It covers every mistake. So no matter how you've how you've come here today, whatever your background, your history, I tell you, God still loves you. God still stands ready to forgive you. you know, everyone knows John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17. But the Son of Man was not sent into the world to condemn it, but in order that it would be saved by Him. Jesus isn't here just to condemn people and neither is the church. If we're to continue the ministry of Jesus, far be it from us to stand there and just just be about the message of condemnation. No, no, no. Jesus came to save the world. If we're to continue the ministry of Jesus, then I'm like, I'm about everything that's going to help to save people, to save their lives. In, in any way, there's a lot of ways that you can save a person. Obviously, we talk about salvation, but there's a lot of ways you can save a human being. So as I finish this message today, I'll say this. Today, you might have found out some new information. I don't know your background. I don't know your history. But if there's any part of this message that honestly really hurts you, um, then I'd encourage you to reach out to our church. You can email us, support at brightchurch.com. That email goes to two people. One of them is me. The other one is Pastor Ruth who oversees all of our generation's pastors. And if you email us, we will follow you up and make sure we connect you with the right people. Why don't you stand? Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.